because we got the cheapest flights and everything. So the more like straight flights directly was more expensive. So I remember flying like literally like four, five airplanes to make it to Fargo because they were they were cheaper. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast presented by Spartan Combat. This is your host, Ryan Warner. It's Thursday, December 15th. This episode is brought to you by Beat the Street Chicago. They're our favorite nonprofit, and they just released a short documentary film on the Beat the Streets National Duels, an event they hosted last June where they brought Beat the Streets organizations from across the country to Chicago to host a dual meet tournament and an immersion experience for these kids. So go to btschicago.org to watch the film. This episode is with Franklin Gomez, NCAA champion for Michigan State, three-time Olympian, he was born and raised in Puerto Rico and first burst onto the national scene at Fargo representing Puerto Rico. An amazing, amazing story. I can't wait for you to hear it. Fan of the week goes to our friend Lewis Kimball. Lewis was one of the ones who let us know that Ariel Helwani, one of the top MMA podcasts, mentioned wrestling changed my life while interviewing David Taylor. So thanks for the shout out, Lewis. We greatly appreciate it. Before we get to the interview, this episode is also brought to you by Quant Wrestling. Quant takes the Moneyball approach to college wrestling. They track and timestamp hundreds of activities in a college wrestling match, input that data into their cloud analytics platform, and on their app, which you can download in the Apple and Google Play stores, you can see detailed statistics on college wrestlers. You can compare different wrestlers. So go to Quant Wrestling on the Apple and Google play stores quant wrestling download the app now and that's it folks let's give it up for the great franklin gomez go ahead and uh, introduce yourself and list a few of your wrestling credentials oh my name is franklin gomez and uh wrestle for puerto rico grew up in puerto rico and then wrestle for mission state and now i'm here uh, penn state with the Indian land wrestling club in there for a few years and uh, just going at it, and yeah, I've been. I feel like I have a lot of ups and downs, but I've been. I'm blessed to just still be there. One of the legends in uh, the last twenty years of wrestling. I mean, everyone knows the name Franklin Gomez. But tell us about growing up in Puerto Rico and what that was like. Yeah, I uh, I was mainly Puerto Rico is, uh, is tropical and it's very. Uh, it's, you do a lot of things in outdoors, at least where I grew up. And I was always outside in bicycles. My mom, my father died when I was six years old. So my mom was working, my three brothers. Uh, so she was working and we were just basically going to school. But then we were, my older brother would take care of us. And so we were just kind of like free. So I would be bicycling around. I would just... Just kind of always outside learning things, seeing how the streets will move, the good, the bad. So that's kind of how um, basically a little of my journey. And uh, I had like some, I had some really good friends. And then later on, I started wrestling when I was about 
about 12 years old because a friend invited me to a wrestling club and I didn't know what that was. I thought it was like the WWE or something weird like that. <laughs> and what was like, a, so growing up, single mom, I'm sure I've read that it was kind of a tough environment. What What lessons did you learn from your mom growing up in that kind of environment? Well, my mom was, my mom is like, some people ask me like who I looked up or who was my hero, wrestling hero or whatever. I, I didn't watch no video, no nothing. I didn't know any superstars or Kale, whoever they might be. I didn't know any of those people. But my mom, I remember waking up early in the morning, just working minimum wage. And I don't know, she was always get up early and then we have food ready. She have uh, breakfast, lunch and dinner. And she was just single. I remember seeing that she wasn't more, much of a, like, speaking into us but she her actions spoke a lot louder so i think she's like my main like i would say my main motivator of like example working hard and she just man she did that all kind of by herself really and it was i remember times where i would stay with a friend of her and then i didn't know what was happening but sometimes you have to work double shift you know, and I didn't know that, but then later on I realized what it was. But yeah, just seeing that just kind of made me like appreciate what getting up early, working hard, and things like that. So it was kind of already in me without much much said, you know. So is it one of those situations where like you and your brothers were kind of raising each other? Uh I would say not not quite because she was there. She was she wasn't working double shift all the time. She just did like maybe once or twice. She was there. I remember just like um just being with my brothers a lot and also um I remember just for example going to school and like I remember school would be a long time being there. It was a lot of interactions and you know, just it wasn't really by ourselves. We had and then sometime we'd have like uh we'll go visit family members and things like that. So it wasn't like it wasn't a story of like we were just by ourselves, but like we make it through none of that. No. It was just like my mom working hard and like us just adapting to a new environment because I was actually born in the Dominican Republic. But after my father passed away, we moved we moved to Brooklyn and then after a year we moved to Puerto Rico. Wow. So it's a lot, of, in- a, lot, a, lot, a lot of transition. I just kind of leave all that out because it's too much, too much <laughs> info, you know. Did you we could be here all day? We could be here all day talking about <laughs> so many things, you know. And when you found wrestling, like, w- was it a structured club or was it a like, what was the situation? So in Puerto Rico, the wrestling is not that big at all. It's maybe like at the time there was probably three, four clubs, but Club Sparta. It's in San Juan, and the coach is from Cuba, and uh, he was just, I didn't know anything about wrestling. I just kind of like, my friend just took me there. I show up, and I was just like, uh, really don't know what it is. What attracted me the most was that they were doing a lot of acrobats, and they had a lot of games. I remember playing a lot of games. So I went and talked to my mom. I was like, Mom, you know, you like I like to be outside and do things outside. This could be a good way of meet staying like in one area instead of being wandering around and she kind of came and saw the wrestling she didn't know what that was I didn't know what that was either but I I convinced her because it was kind of like a place you can play and whatnot obviously you know, those games were kind of geared towards wrestling and uh so yeah it was it was kind of like I have no idea what was happening I just did it because it was just like something fun and this was like a this was a club situation, and you said the coach was Cuban. So I mean, everyone knows the great tradition that Cuba has. What was the what was the coach like? Oh, just he was very fun to be around, and uh, at the same time very strict. And uh, so it kind of helped me get a little more structure. And because my father passed away, he kind of became kind of like a father figure. And um, so wow, I just remember like. You know, in our story, you know, Jaime Espinal, another friend of mine, uh, like a brother to me, like, it's like a small circle of us that we all grew up in that wrestling club and we still today, like, still in contact. And one common denominator we all had was, like, a lot of us didn't have our fathers, you know, like, some people were, father weren't present, but 
just kind of like this group was very unique and I didn't know much about it. I just came in like they've been practicing for five years. So I was just one more. But I just like the environment, just like the competition. But I, didn't, I wasn't dreaming about anything. I wasn't, I was just like, oh, this is a good place so I can hang out. And you said there's a group of you guys. What were some of the other guys in the group? Uh, there's a, we were like, I mean, at the time, there was about like 40 guys. And we were like in a very small room. Like, I'm talking about like, I mean, like half a wrestling mat type of stuff. And there was what? a lot of people that, yeah, like half a whole full wrestling mat. There was another half of that. But like, and they were split into big guys and like little kids and bigger bigger guys. And I remember just like, they would make it work because they would have one group go forward and the other one. It was just kind of like, just making the best of what we had. And it was, I didn't think about we had, it was small or big. It was just super fun just to be there, play all those games. And then I realized people were taking me down. I didn't know, okay, wait, I'm supposed to not let them take me down. I didn't know what that is, you know. <laughs> so that's kind of how I, my introduction and, and the coach really helped me a lot because he was like, he his work ethic was really, like he was just always like there, like a lot of, a lot of good influence from him. And then when did you come to the States for the first time to wrestle? Like Fila Cadets or something like that? Yeah, so I, I wrestling around 12, so about when I was about 16. I just four years later, I so in those four years, I made a big leap in wrestling. Just like, I would stay after practice and just, I remember after every practice I have to do, the coach would tell me I have to do 10 ropes. So I would do 10 ropes after practice and like, I didn't lift it that much weight, but those ropes was like, man, it was hard. And I was, I remember getting stronger. And then, like, Puerto Rico wrestling so small that our goal was to train all year round so we can go to one tournament, which was far ago. Wow. We didn't, we, we didn't like, I remember competing maybe like maybe one or two times in Puerto Rico. And there wasn't like, there wasn't that much competition really. But, for me, it didn't matter we have because remember my reason was I wasn't trying to be like, oh, I want to be the best in Puerto Rico. I want to, I want this mentality of like I want to be the best. I had zero of that. I just want to just learn, continue growing, and like have fun, really. And so, when you're getting ready for Fargo, what was your training routine? Were you like doing running and it's that kind of stuff, or? Yeah, we were, we were. I was doing two practices a day when I was already three. So I was 12, 14. I was 14. I started doing two practices because I gradually moved to like the more advanced guys. And those were doing two practices a day. I remember waking up early and my mom would, would wake me up before she go to work. So it was like a cool thing because she would wake me up and I would kind of eat breakfast with her and then she would go to work. And then oh, she would leave me in practice or maybe some older guy, like older guy who had a car would come pick me up. And like uh, we would run in the morning, we do just laps and then do a lot of exercise. And then we will come in the afternoon, we do like like a really hard practice. Our muscle would be sore. We were wrestling. We did a lot of technique and also we did a lot of wrestling, but always a lot of exercise at the end, like kind of Cuban style, you know, a lot of a lot of pull ups, a lot of rope, um, and a lot of gymnastics. You know, so I grew up like in a you know, in the U.S., a lot of people wrestle kind of from far away and, like, fake, fakes. And uh, we grew up with a lot of, like, a diverse combination of things, you know. And was the coach, a, the Cuban, was he a freestyle guy or a Greco guy? Freestyle, freestyle. Wow. I just love that body weight training. And, like, you see a lot of that in, in Dagestan where they got the bands and the jump rope and the rope climbs. That's really all you need. Yeah, I mean... I mean, when you go, if I don't know if you've been to Cuba, but you go there, they really don't have a lot of things there, and they they might have a few pool bars and like maybe a rundown bench or something there, but they make they just make the best out of that, and I think it's it kind of related because they're Cuba. I know them guys were part of the Soviet Union, and like you know, so the unknown to me, like later on, I learned that. Russians came to Cuba and kind of helped this down. Then Cubans went to Russia so they can learn. And like, it was kind of cool because how did the Cuba got so, so good? Well, 
the Russian had a lot of influence too in the way they trained too, you know. So it was kind of like, oh, I didn't really, I didn't pick up one and two together until later on. Yeah, it's crazy how how small Cuba is, but in you know, the 2000s especially, they had a, a dynamite team that could go toe to toe with anyone. In the 2000s, they were they were deep. Yeah, and the crazy thing about that is how little they get paid, like thirty dollars, forty dollars a month or something. It's ridiculous, and like, and they make it like, yeah, I don't know. They that's why a lot of them leave, you know, because it's just they win all these medals and they still get paid very little. No, no, not too much, you know. Right. And so when you're when you're training and getting ready for Fargo. What was your first experience of getting out to North Dakota and wrestling in that tournament? Well, I was really hungry, like really hungry to wrestle because I'm training all year round. And like I'm one of the younger guys coming up. We have the older guys, which one, one of them is the coach now. And uh, those guys were going, getting ready for Fargo and also to go to compete at Junior Worlds and things like that. And for one of us, just so imagine you have like about 30, 40 people and then you have like a remnant of like, 10 guys who were just like the top of the top of the cream. And those guys were traveling like, like uh, maybe to, you know, worlds or something like that, but they would be training the whole year for that. Like, it wasn't like, like, Oh, let's go to compete here. Let's go to this day or fight, you know, all year round. So, so think about this. How, how, how would a coach keep their athlete motivated you know, thinking if you think of in the U.S. where people compete so many so often, you know, a whole year to go to one tournament, you know, it's, it's, it would be like either like because a lot of us we just kind of like became a melt, melting pot. It became like not just wrestling, it became kind of like a, a way out from the streets, a way out from bad influences and things like that. You know, so it was like more than just like oh, I'm just gonna train this club because I like it. It became more like a and knit together family type of stuff. I mean, think about that. To your point, you guys are trained together two a days all year for one. And we weekend. go to school, and we go, we will go, go to school together sometimes. Like, yeah, I remember being in school together. All the rest would be like together, and we would have sometimes fights together. You know, that's crazy. So you're spending twelve hours a day together. If you if you factor in the morning workouts, the school, and then the afternoon workouts. Yeah, it's a lot of a lot of times and a lot of training. Like we train from Monday through Saturday, nonstop. Wow. And so when when you get out there, was two thousand one your first year out at Fargo? When you wrestled Burak? Uh, it, mm, no, I think that I went the year before. I went there the year before. I don't remember what I placed. Maybe like seven or eight or something like that. I remember. That got me, that got me like really mad because I was like, I don't know, I didn't, no one told me I need to wrestle hard or compete or anything. We didn't, they didn't like, we just trained hard and like our, and our room was getting better. Kind of like what Cuban, Cuba was doing, but within each other, we were getting better. And then like I came back the next year and I think I took second or lose, lost to, to that guy. And um, first time someone was shooting two ankles on me, you know. So I didn't know how to like kind of deal with that, you know. Uh, uh, so then it was kind of like, wow, I look forward to coming here because it was a big tournament, a lot of matches. So like I was one of the few guys in the, my group, my pack, who was able to withstand like match after match after match after match. A lot of them would like be really good wrestling, but they're like, you, you wrestle three matches hard, your body would be like, but I was, for some reason, I was able to, like, just stay like it was nothing, you know. I was able to cons consistently, like, keep the same intensity and pace. And so, yeah, that was, I think, my first time. And uh, maybe I think some people saw me there. And, like, the word came out that I wanted to come to the U.S. and then kind of make a transition there because it was, Puerto Rico wrestling was too small, you know. It just... The guys, the guys around my weight class, I was competing three weight weight class above already three, what? so I can get some competition because it's so small. It was only a few clubs, you know. So did you, knowing that you weren't competing that much, when you got to Fargo and you're wrestling against some of these top guys, how did you deal with performance anxiety, or if you had it at all? I didn't have anything because you only know those. 
quote unquote top guys, if you look at them in like whatever nowadays is like Instagram or flow, whatever that may be, all this hype and talk, I was just like I didn't know anyone. I was just wrestling. Wow. Well, just wrestling I, free like that. Yeah, like I didn't know anything. And even even to later on in my career, I would tell people not to like watch any of this stuff, not to think about like because the top guys, whoever were the top, they weren't the top before. And they were coming up slowly like any one of us. So it's like people hype up all these people. But for me, it was just like, what? That guy hasn't lost? Oh, we'll see. You will wrestle him then, you know? I think he, I think all of us have lost before. I lost, so why, why can't he lose, you know? So I just, <laughs> I just I just look at it like that. I was just like, I, I didn't have no pressure whatsoever. I had more like, I was more worried about like making way and things like that. Like it's, <laughs> you know, cutting weight during those time wasn't my coach wasn't that um in that area wasn't that wise, you know. I was kinda of, we were kind of just freaking things out as we go. And it must have been a crazy experience to go from Puerto Rico to North Dakota in the middle of the summer. I mean it must have been like a, a, a trip out of it too. Yeah, it was it was for us. It was like and we I remember I remember we because we got the cheapest flights and everything. So the more like straight flights directly was more expensive. So I remember flying like literally like four, five airplanes to make it to Fargo because <laughs> they were they were cheaper. <laughs> and like one of them, we lost the connection, and then we're like, ah, talk to the lady, and we had to talk in English. I didn't speak English at the time, so I, I understood a lot because I used to watch Cartoon Network. But like I didn't like, we would just have to figure out, and uh, and they would move us to different. We'll fly to somewhere different city until we eventually made it to our destination. So it was it was some good times. I remember going to Chicago there and it was like rented one van and we fit like eighteen people there in one van. Like it was Damn. I remember sitting I, I was because I was one of the smallest. I would sit on the trunk usually with two other people and we just cutting away. It was just like, yeah. It we didn't no one complained about anything. No one it was just like we're just making the best out of this trip, man. Like you you can only compare yourself if you have other reference points. It's like you if you say you're poor or you're rich or whatever that means, it's because you you've seen the other side. Mm-hmm. Otherwise how are you able to compare yourself, you know? Right. Man, that's those are cool stories to hear that and just how you guys all came together. Now, when you first moved to the States, you know, a lot of people know you from Brandon, but I read that you went to New Jersey first. So did you, did you, did you move by yourself or did your family come with you when you moved? No, I did all this move by myself. I, I, I talked to my mom before I left. My coach talked to my mom and well, he talked to me first and, uh, and he asked me if I'm interested in coming to a different place to continue getting better. And I was like, yeah, yeah. But I just said, yes. I was like, I was kind of like looking for more challenge, you know, because I was just, it's too easy here, you know. And uh, so then he talked to my mom. I talked to my mom. My mom wasn't sure. And then my mom talked to him and says, if Franklin would have been your son, what would we have done? And then he said, I would have sent him. And then that was because my coach was very respectful. Like, you know, my mom respected him too. So I guess my mom somehow trusts me. I thought I was going to be, hey, I wasn't going to fight or anything like that. Like, I was going to, like, if you gave me an opportunity, like, I was going to, like, basically make her proud and, like, try to help the family, you know. And so I kind of convinced my mom, too. And so they spoke with, like, a, my coach talked to someone, that person talked to someone, and they made the connection. And, and eventually in St. Uh, I went to St. Augustine Prep, which is uh, in Richland, New Jersey. I don't even know how the connection was. Um, but so did you know where you were going when you left? Like, no, no, no idea. I just, I was, I was, I just said I was going to a school to wrestle. It's a good opportunity, so I went. I showed up there, and uh, they picked me up in the airport, and I was just like, went to a rich school. Like this, you have to wear a tie. It's like a like a. I was just like, I went from like, just from a public school in Puerto Rico, where like it was, it was. It was kind of bad, you know, like you can have to worry about fighting and things like that to like 
to like uh to like a really private school with all these rich kids coming in BMWs and things like that. And you also were having you were just learning English at the same time, right? Yes, I was struggling uh, a lot because I, although I understood a lot, I couldn't convey or express myself as well. I was speaking a lot of like caveman language, you know. That had to be a crazy experience, like a really challenging experience, but it had to Very be like a culture shock. Yeah, yeah, I remember people. Yeah, I was. It was a culture shock. I mean, I. Yeah. And I, see, I would even be, be, see people bringing drugs to school, and like, I was just like, man, it's just this, this is crazy, you know. <laughs> and like, yeah, it was it was different. I I I remember, yeah. And the coach that I was wrestling there was they have no idea anything about wrestling. He was more like a football coach, so they just kind of put him into coach wrestling. Oh no! They didn't, have, they didn't have a wrestling coach, and then like, so I remember I didn't make no much progress in in uh wrestling uh, i was lucky in hands i was trying to make the transition to folk style but i was always lucky in hands he really wasn't that good uh however when when i talked to my coach on, uh, on the phone i told him hey I'm, i think i should be back because i should go back because this is not good he told me frankly you know i think you should stick it there because it was halfway through stick it because that way you pick up the English. It will help you eventually. He said, sometimes in life you lose some things, but you gain other things. So that might help you later on. So I stuck, stood there for the whole year, and then I went back to Puerto Rico. And then the same thing happened. I ended up in Brandon, Florida. Again, I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know anything about Brandon either. I didn't know. Any, I have no idea. Anything. How do you How do you just leave and not know where you're – It's just you're just going along for the ride? I mean – it's just a crazy well, thing to imagine how scary that must have been. Uh, for who? For someone who has everything in your house, family working to come and you eat with your family, maybe you have everything, you know, or for me, it was more like an opportunity to help my family, you know? Yeah. It depends how, how you look at it. You know, if you, I don't know how you grew up with your family, but like if your dad and your mom are involved, one of them is not dead or both of them are not there, you know, like, it just, it makes it a bit different. And if they're good parents, they're going to probably support you, guide you in the right direction. It makes a, you know, a big difference. I, I saw my mom working early and I'm like, nah, this doesn't add up, but I need to do something about this. So I, I, the best way I can help her is by, taking advantage of those opportunities and using wrestling kind of like a tool as to continue and higher education and things like that, you know? Right. And that was actually like encouraged by my coach. And how different was Brandon to the school in uh, New Jersey? Ooh, they have girls there, you know? So <laughs> <laughs> I went to a boys school, boys school in, in, in New Jersey. And then I went to like a public school, you know, you sit in the cafeteria with, you know, girls as well. And, uh, yeah, definitely a lot of Hispanic people too. So you make friends and, like, uh, but I just, I don't know. Everywhere I went, there was a there was a lot of drugs too there in the schools. So I was kind of always confused why would people, like, use drugs. Maybe because I, I seen drugs. I seen people in the streets, like, dead. And I was, I remember saying, like, man, I don't want to do that because of this and that. Like I was, I was conscious of it, and also my mom took us to church, to church. It was a lot of good message, you know, about mm -hmm. Jesus, the Bible, and everything. Like I remember not knowing much about that, but like I remember listening to the Word of God, and it was kind of like indirectly, I think it was soaking into me and being like, okay, I need to think what was good and bad, was wrong and was good. So kind of, yeah, I, I just saw a lot of friends in Puerto Rico in the U.S. who just kind of like, I don't know. For me, I was just so thankful, so blessed to be in Brandon or New Jersey that I was going to be like, I'll do everything I can so I can continue getting better in wrestling and take advantage of this great opportunity. So I would, I would take it as a like, like with a grain of salt of like so thankful to be there. And like, so that's, that's what I mean. Like it depends like 
for me, I think is it became kind of like a blessing the way I grew up because it kind of helped me appreciate things even more than most people because, right. you know, growing up, being born in the Dominican Republic, if you go to the Dominican Republic, there's a lot of rich people and there's a lot of poor people. Then in Puerto Rico, there's a lot of same thing and a similar structure. And then coming to the U.S., boom, you just people, a lot of people have a lot of opportunities, have a lot of things. It's just kind of like, it's just different, you know. And I know people in the U.S., a lot of people are grateful too. But like in my case, I was just like, I cannot afford to like not be grateful for all this, you know. And then how did you go from that to Michigan State? Because, I mean, you won... For folks who don't know, 05, an amazing summer, double champ, one of the top high school wrestlers in the country, number one at 119, and you end up at Michigan State, but I'm just curious, how did how did you get there? Well, I remember when I was being recruited, I, was, I told people, like, if, you don't, if you're going to like recruit me, you're going to offer me some percentage, don't even bother, because I don't have I don't have no money. My mom got no money to pay anything zero but i was obviously thankful because i was getting full rides you know here and there but i wasn't trying to go to any place north because it was cold and i didn't know i didn't know much that in the north there's a lot more wrestling than in the south at the time right but like some people explained to me a little bit about that but i was thinking more like a warmer place in between you know and um I uh, just uh, Rocky Kosar ended up going to Michigan State, and Russ Kosar, my coach from from high school at the time, asked me to go take a visit at least, you know. And I was just like, "Okay, I'll do it, coach. I'll do it for you, you know. Like I respect you a lot, so I was considered." So I went there, and I remember I I went to several recruiting trips, different universities, and I told them like, "Don't offer me." No alcohol, no girls, no that stuff. I'm really serious here about wrestling, you know. Wow. And they didn't, a lot of people didn't really like listen to that. The moment they took me to a place where there were like people drinking or something like that, I was like, I'm not coming here. I, and I didn't know anything about the coaches, you know. Right. Same thing. I didn't know anything if the coaches were good or bad or anything. I was just like, if you don't offer me alcohol, if you don't like, I saw I'm a, I'm a believer in Christ too, and I like to grow in my relationship with God, you know, and then learn more about what that really means and compared to everything else, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to, like, be in right. that environment, you know, and Michigan State was the only one who did, did that, so that's why I, I went there. And then They took when, me to the bowling. I went bowling with the guys. It was good, you know. Who took you on your recruiting trip, the Simmons brothers? No, 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 Tim Hammer. He's, this guy is an awesome guy. Tim Hammer was one of them. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. He He's the main person I remember. But uh, I remember we were in the car going to the bowling place. And they were singing, like, uh, this song's like, girls just want to have fun. They're all, like, singing <laughs> through their lungs. And I'm thinking I'm in the car because it was tight. It was a lot of us. I was like, man, this guy's are crazy you know <laughs> <laughs> but like for me i feel like crazy in a good way not like crazy as in wild you know mm -hmm. so i don't know i just that's kind of why the main reason i, I wasn't there's a story around there that i went there because i didn't know if it was gonna be like because i because i thought it was gonna be warm there or something like that. and i knew it was gonna be cold i didn't know how cold it was gonna be but i knew it was gonna be really cold was that a shock when you felt your first Michigan winner? Uh, it was a little, man, I was like, how do people live here? You know, there's <laughs> no one outside. The trees are naked. And I was just like, and then you go to the buildings and there was like people there. Like there was like, everything was happening normal. I was just like, I will, I will remember like driving or walking. It was like barely no one outside. I think you see, this is very depressing. And then you go to like the places, there'll be like, a world happened inside, and I remember, wow. So I remember thinking, if they can make it, I can make it. So, I I watched your Hall of Fame speech at Michigan State, and you said that you spent a lot of time at the Smith Center once you got there. And I'm just curious, what what kind of facility is that? Is it like a study hall place or a? Yeah, it's like a. I I don't know if they were like the pioneer of that. Probably not, but like I remember that there, 
lot other universities weren't as like barely had anything like that. They might have like a small room or something, but they had like a humongous building. Uh, basketball player uh, donated. Uh, Smith, he donated the name of his mom like this to this building for the athletes, and I met him personally too. It was a great honor to meet him too. And wow, uh, um, and I remember being there again and like giving us tutors. I remember some of the guys, some of the wrestlers were like, Man, I don't want no tutors. I remember thinking, like, Well, would you don't want no tutors? They will help you to your school. So I remember scratching my head, I'm like, I don't understand, like. And then some guys obviously didn't they didn't need no tutor because they were like on point, you know. But like there was a lot of offer for all the classes. All the classes you can have someone who can help you with that. So in the beginning I was very like uh the coaches were kinda of worried that I was because of my English that I was gonna struggle. But no, I was I just didn't like I didn't struggle. But it was was mainly because of the Smith Center too, because I had a lot of help and I would just go to all the sections. So everything I would just study. I was just quietly doing my thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And and so like you're just like amazed that people weren't going there and taking advantage of it. Yeah, I'm like, why? And then you have people who have a lot of bad grades, but they will not want to go. And I remember like thinking like, I don't understand you guys. Like, why would you not go, dude? Like, and I remember a guy who asked me to write a paper for him. And I remember my first English paper I did, like it was, it was filled with blood and ink and how many wrong past <laughs> tense, like all of this correction. And I remember like, I remember saying, looking at him, like, dude, you must be out of your mind. I'm like, barely, like, I barely know how to write, write English and you want me to write paper for you? He's like, <laughs> you must be like, well, I think it's because he saw me, I show up at class every time and I was like, really determined to learn, you know, and like, but I remember, dude, I don't understand. Like, I'm speaking a single second language here, and I'm, like, having better grades than you. You should be, like, embarrassed. I tell him, like, you should be embarrassed, you know? Wow. So you're just you're all business when you get there. And I just had Nick Simmons on the podcast. How often were you working out with Nick's, Nick and Andy Simmons when you got to Michigan State? Yeah, I think in the beginning we were for sure working out um, quite often. It's just I think maybe Andy was a – Maybe less because he was bigger. I was one twenty five. He was forty one. But man, those one for he wrestled one forty one. But when I wrestled him, he felt like one fifty seven. <laughs> like I don't know what happened. Maybe, but then I realized maybe because maybe because obviously he had more experience, and also maybe when I started wrestling in the beginning of the season, he he wasn't cutting that much weight. I don't know something. He felt like super strong. That guy was like. So he felt really strong, like in the beginning, and then like, but yeah, I would work out with them. They'll be like really good training partners for sure. I mean, Nick Simmons is you know one of the most decorated guys to to never win a title, and you know his high school record is insane. And I th- I'm just trying to think through. So you're so 2007 was your first year in the lineup. He was up at 133, and you're down at 125. I can just imagine you two guys going at it though. That must have been awesome. Yeah, it was. Definitely, we we scrap a lot. We scrap a lot. He's he's really good. He's he's there. He's like an octopus, man. He will wrap you around, and it will be. I struggled to get him from, you know, escape. Um, I got better as like you know I didn't get turned much or anything like that. But it was, yeah, I might sometimes be closed, but he would be like, whoosh, do something weird or like and like kind of still be on it, like super super good, super good, you know. Um, I mean, you were yeah. learning folk style as you're going too. That had to be, that had to be an experience. Yeah, I wrestled only folk style those two years in high school, and that was it. No, I was wrestling freestyle the whole, wow. the whole time. And then your freshman year at 125, you were having a great year, and at Big Tens, you went 0 and 2 and didn't qualify for the national tournament. How big of an impact was that on you for the rest of your career? Oh yeah, that was definitely a life changing moment for sure. Because I remember the last guy I lost it was a guy from Ohio State, and I beat him like fifteen zero. I remember I didn't I didn't let him off the little circle. Like I didn't we didn't go out of bounds not one time. We were just like I was just on fire, you know. And I lost him like and 
I think maybe my body was trying to grow, you know, around around that time. So it was harder for me to make the way. I was making the way, but I wasn't recovering as well. And most of my losses came that year, actually. I lost like maybe like seven or eight matches straight or something like that. I don't remember. Or, but I remember that made me think, rethink about like what's the purpose of life and and things that really matters. Because I remember going to church. Uh, I would go to church sometimes just to hear a good, a good sermon, you know, how I normally would. But then someone, uh, the youth pastor, asked me, frankly, you look down, man. You look sad. I was like, yeah, I am. I don't know. You know, I'm working hard, wrestling. I'm like, I'm not partying. I'm not doing X, Y, and C. So, like, I don't know why everything kind of, like, falling apart. Obviously, what I felt was important was my world was that. And they asked me, well, how is your relationship with God? Is it real? Is it tangible in your life? And I didn't know how to answer that because I was just like, I just come to church. It was the first time that I kind of hit, I hit a wall in terms of like defining who God is in light of like what was happening. Because I was like, I'm not, I don't want to come here and listen to all these happy, clappy people and then go outside and be like struggling with things, you know? And I was just like, so I went into a journey of like, just kind of like, they quoted Matthew 6.33 that says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things, all other things will be added onto you. The context is more about clothing and nothing's going to like, you're not going to lack anything. But I, I was like, man, that means if I just focus on God, I'm going to, everything else is going to like fall in place or something like that. So I went on a long journey to just kind of like, I went to start going to Bible study, asking the hard questions and being like, are you guys believing this? You know, like, if someone comes to forgiveness, why would I forgive someone who come and murder my family? You know, I want to do them. And they're like, that turned into like a long conversation, which it was good because it was like, it wasn't me who's going to forgive that person, but somehow got in me doing the work. And I was like, okay, hey man, hallelujah, because I'm not going to do it. You know, and it was just like, <laughs> so then I realized because of my wrestling background, I was doing everything on my strength, everything. So well, I don't need God because I'm self-sufficient in that sense. And I was using God as a, good fortune teller type of stuff. And then I started, I realized that having a relationship with God was actually something like, you know, ongoing, like uh, learning about him and like also knowing what's good, what's bad. And I just like, not just go to life thinking that I'm a good person when I'm my own standard, when, you know, when it, it was just like a, a long journey. Ultimately that helped me change my perspective with wrestling. How did it make you change your wrestling on, how did it make you change your perspective on wrestling? Well, because I was happy when I won, really happy because I'm training like, yeah, the rewards, yeah, you know. But I, inside I was happy. I, I was never like type of like, ah, screaming or anything. But like, but in my loss, I was kind of sad because I was like, I just thought that this was, you know, fulfilling. I never questioned why I wrestled to begin with. Am I wrestling because a coach told me I can be good? Am I wrestling because, because, you know, why? Just to win a title? Or, or what is that going to do? Is it going to give me purpose, life? You know, is it going to be like, like, am I going to be happy? What if, you know? So I started, like, questioning that, and then I realized the the reason why I wrestle is because, you know, like, I, I, I am, like, a made in God's image, so I... So whatever we do, the Bible says, whatever we do, we should do it as if we're doing unto the Lord. So I should do it in an excellent manner. But the winning and losing is the tricky part because the world tells you, like, it's all about that kind of thing. You want, you train for that. But in reality, you and I were talking about the stories, the van, the van, the van and, like, me lifting the pull-ups, like, like the environment growing up. And I think that's where ultimately really matters. You know, the journey that you go through, like the winning and losing, like now they're not talking about me much. I'm surprised I'm here talking to you. Now they're talking <laughs> about, they're talking about who's the next and the next and the next, you know? So it's like, I think like you got to wrestle and do the best you can, but don't, don't be so fixated and wrestling has to be the all in all, you know, it just, I was just like so consumed. Wrestling became an idol, and I, I didn't see that until later on. And then I started working on it. 
I mean, I'm still working on it. Like the definition of winning success is right. is, is is challenging because I know guys who are like really talented, but they get they got a big serious injury and they didn't go farther. But who would know what if they would have accomplished, right? So it's like, and then like if you live your life sad because you could have, you could have, you could have, like so yeah, that's kind of how I think it helped me see wrestling. So the next year I was like, you know, I'm cutting weight. There's this mentality, you got to cut weight, you got to cut weight. I'm just going to go up and enjoy wrestling. So I went up. And I, really, I remember feeling a lot better. My perspective was a lot different. I'm like, when I win or lose, my focus is going to be just on wrestling my best, and I'm going to enjoy whether I win or lose. I'm going to try to enjoy even when I lose. I want to try to enjoy that. I remember being, like, so free. Wow. So free even enjoy it when you lose almost. Yeah, because uh, – it's it's a it's a deep mystery because you can glorify God even when you lose. So that makes a big difference, you know, because ultimately, like, think about this, Brian. When you and I are in our deathbed, you think they're gonna be like, "Yeah, bring that podcast we have with you," like, <laughs> bring that, bring bring me those medals, bring me those trophies. What do you want? What would you like if you're in bed? Most likely. Like, what would you want? Let me let me ask you that question to you. What would I want in terms of like what to take with me? You're you're about to die there. You're laying in bed. What will you like? Are you gonna be like bring me that trophy, the championship? Like, what what do you want? What would you like to have? What would you like to talk about? I would just want to have my family with me. Right. So, which in in a nutshell, it implies relationships. Right. So in a in a in a so all of a sudden we're like so fixated into something, and what really matters is the relationships, even through the whole journey. So wow. I, re- I I so I was just like that was so like that's like the wisdom of God there like helped me helping me see wrestling for what it is, even though tomorrow I'm gonna go practice and be like maybe the coach will be, oh you gotta work in it so you can win you gotta more one and more than you breathe and like all this. So you it's like into all that. No, no, I was trying to just have a balance, even though it's hard, you know, because think about it, it's like, sometimes they say if you take second place, is worse than taking third because you were so close to the first, right? And the, and the third place, the third place, work his way up to third place, it's kind of almost like a better, they did a study that the second second place in the Olympics felt the worst than than the the third place he felt the worst worst he felt like he didn't he didn't want none of that wow so like again it's about like like a a perspective that is is gonna last forever you know ultimately when you're in Beth you're in your death Beth or I might be you know we want a relationship the things that really matter is our relationship wrestling is a tool to bring the best out of us, the the things that God instilled in us, we could be doing some something else. It would be the same. We would have to do our best we can. It would bring the, it's a tool to bring the best of us. And then guess what? When you and I do our best, it becomes like an art. We become like, wow, look at that move. Oh, look at that. We become artistic. It almost becomes like amazing. And guess what? We're amazed of the creation of God. What is doing the creation of excellence? You know. I'm feeling inspired right now. This is uh... hey man. This is so, good therapy right now. Wow. Hey, that was happening during those times. Imagine me thinking like that and like trying to live like that and be like, ah, I don't let wrestling, you know, wrestling is not everything, frankly. You're more than wrestling. You're more than wrestling. You're more than wrestling. I, I'm a child of God. Uh, you know, I gave my life to Christ. I surrender everything to him. You changed me, Lord. You know, I, I just... I don't want to be thinking about who I'm going to wrestle, who's this, you take care of the ranking, people are going to talk about it. I just want to wrestle and do my best. That's all. So knowing that's where you came from on that journey, what did it feel like in 2009 when you did win your first NCAA title? Yeah, I felt, you know, like, I I think I I felt good. But I don't think I felt I didn't feel that much different than than the third I took the year before the third I feel after because again what really? I moved, yeah. yeah yeah I, I, I actually about... I actually I actually remember taking third place the first time because when you take third place the match is over so you have to sit and watch the first place 
And I remember me like just like being like, I was starting like so like joyful and like I laugh. I was laughing to myself. I was sitting by myself. And I remember like, man, what is happening to me? I'm going crazy here. I actually feel like I'm rejoiced that I'm like see I'm here watching those guys. Which think about this, Ryan, for you to feel like you're joyful just being there watching the guys who just be you wrestling and enjoying that. I think I think it's something of God, you know, because most I mean I would before I would have been like I gotta beat that guy or I'm gonna wrestle, you know, I gotta get ready for that guy. So like when I took first place, I just felt like a really awesome, like a a, a a big sense of gratitude. And when I took first, I just felt a big sense of gratitude too. I was like, man, it's just because it's a lot that goes through it. You're not always like in perfect condition when you wrestle. You might have a tweak here and there. You know, one of the third place, my last one, my back was hurting really bad. I couldn't bend. I didn't even warm up for that third match. I remember wow. that. Uh, just help me, like, do my best, you know, whatever, you know. Just help me. And I remember me, like, man, I just let it rip. Like, I, I was still in pain, but I was able to wrestle well. And, you know, things like that, yeah, you're not going to be able to see, like, you would never know that. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I just a lot of sense of gratitude, a lot of sense of being in the U.S., taking advantage of this opportunity, my journey, all the stuff we've been talking about coming together and like, wow. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life with Franklin Gomez. This episode was brought to you by Beat the Street Chicago. Help every Chicago youth say that wrestling changed their life with a donation at Beat the Street Chicago, btschicago.org slash donate. This episode is also brought to you by Quant Wrestling. Download the Quant app now, Q-U-A-N-T, on the Apple and Google Play stores. Quant takes the Moneyball approach to predictive analytics. Quant Wrestling, download the app now. For all past episodes, go to WrestlingChangeMyLife.com. We'll see you next week on Wrestling Changed My Life.